All right, this might be either the longest or the shortest. I've got a lot. I don't know about you. I've got a lot too, but I don't, it's like, I don't know. You've got 69 pages. I do have 69 pages. That's the sex number. (laughs) Not for me. just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. (laughs) Okay. My voice is going to be bad today. It's all right. Eventually, I'm going to sound like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> An old smoker voice. All right. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is my new normal. No. <laughs> you're That's fired. Spooky. Well, everyone, if you're listening, I need a new co-host. <laughs> you can't fire me. I'm your mommy. Are you okay? Yeah. I had a margarita with lunch. Did I mention that? <laughs> so, for real, this time, welcome. For reals. For, for reals. Yes. I like to be cool like that. <laughs> she's not a, she's like, not a regular mom. She's a cool mom. I like to use the modern jargon. Okay. Hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi, mom. <laughs> Fancy meeting you here. At yeah. Freudian Sips. <laughs> Welcome to Freudian Sips, episode 11. One 11, one one, one, one. one, one. And what are we talking about today? Nonverbal communication, which is very funny for a podcast that's just audio communication. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't think that one through. We did not. That was the first thing Nathan said. I was like, oh yeah, we're doing nonverbal communication this week and he goes on a podcast <laughs> i was like yeah yeah uh-huh, uh-huh, so uh-huh. we're gonna do things that you can't see and then we need you to guess what no yeah this is not the first time that we will be using motions with our arms and then the other one will be describing them to the audience we have <laughs> we a history that of that yeah. yeah yeah it really is too bad they can't see all our wondrous hand actions like that we're doing right yeah now. we're just <laughs> when it gets very quiet we're, you know, just, we're doing hand motions at each other <laughs> Yeah. You guys are missing so much. <laughs> we wish you were here. Guess we need to start a YouTube channel, Mom. Okay, that's the next thing on our bucket <laughs> oh, list. Okay. So why would we talk about nonverbal communication in this podcast that's kind of about psychology stuff? Um, I don't know. It was your idea. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> I explained it to you earlier because I can't explain it well, and I was hoping you would you take... You explained it just fine earlier. I think that it's important... For many reasons, many, many reasons. Obviously, as therapists, as counselors, we are very aware of nonverbal communication with our clients. That's one of the things that we look for. But if you think about it just on a personal level, all of us, we use nonverbal communication all the time. And I don't know about you, Anna, but I found like different percentages. Yeah. It's like nobody agreed on what percentage is nonverbal. Oh, I found different. There's a lot of kind of conflicting information yes. about yes. all of this. I it's very that. confusing. Yeah. But nonverbal communication is a very important part of how we have relationships with one another. And I think we always go back to that idea here on Freudian Sips about self-awareness because that's kind of our thing. Yes. That's, that's, that's huge for us as humanists and existentialists. So we're not only going to focus on the idea that we look at other people's nonverbal communication, but we also want to be aware of our own, which is kind of weird because that's the whole point that a lot of times we have no idea what Right, a lot of it is unconscious. So part of it's just knowing the kind of unconscious stuff that we do. And we've talked about unconscious things before, so... 
plug for another episode, which was pretty cool. Freud. Is that the Freud one? That was the Freudian. Like the first one. one. Yeah. First first one. Yeah. Okay. So absolutely. So a lot of our nonverbal communication, we obviously don't think about. It's like you said, part of our subconscious showing itself there. But there are things that we can do to be self-aware, to make ourselves better communicators, to make ourselves more open to relationships, Mm -hmm. more acceptable, for lack of a better word, in social situations. Not so awkward. Yeah. I mean, like you said, statistics just a second ago, the statistic that I found most often was that our communication is 35% verbal and 65% nonverbal. That's that's a lot. That's a big majority of the stuff that we will be talking about, the stuff that maybe we're not so aware of, that we kind of have to be aware of what we're saying, but not necessarily what our bodies are doing with it. So Mm -hmm. that's a lot that we do, maybe unconsciously. So if we can kind of attune our senses to more how we act while we're saying what we're saying, which is taking up most of our processing, Mm -hmm. then we can more accurately communicate our messages to other people. But I think we're all keenly aware of the fact that when we meet someone for the first time, it's not necessarily what they say to us. I mean, that has obviously part of what we feel toward them, how we Right, but we get first impressions from people. Even before we talk. Oh, yeah, like just walking down the street, we Mm -hmm. can kind of read Mm -hmm. what someone's deal is. So we are actually very tuned into that Mm -hmm. as a society we're trying to. As people. I mean, it's built into us, I think. Exactly. Okay, so we got a lot. There's so much. We got a lot. I have much. Many pages. (laughs) (laughs) Many. Mom has 69 pages. I have 69 pages of notes. That's the sex number? Which is an awkward number, but that's the number that I have. I could right now go in and like delete a page. You've given me shit for having like four pages of notes before, so I feel like this is beyond the pale. I I And as a very pale person, I would know what is beyond the pale. I like that. Thanks. You should keep that. Keep that in your repertoire. Okay. So we talk about nonverbal. We talk about all kinds of things. The first thing that comes to mind is just like regular like body language, the way we hold our body. But there's oh so much more. Right. Do you have like a list? I do. So some of the things that are included in nonverbal, and depending on how long we want this episode to be, we may cover all these, are facial expressions, eye contact, body posture, body positioning, Then there's proxemics, which is how close we are to someone, and haptics, which is how we touch people when we communicate with them. And then there's gestures, so just what we're doing with our body. and Like like she's doing her hand right now. Oh, I am. I am gesturing with my hand, yes. Okay. There's paralanguage, which is how our voice sounds, which is kind of weird on the verge of between verbal and nonverbal. Because, I mean, if if it's our tone of voice... That is technically a nonverbal because verbal is just what we're saying. Right, the words. Nonverbal is how we're saying it, including motions and sound and stuff. But And then there's also stuff like just appearance, like how we look and how we are presenting ourselves and maybe what we are carrying or what we're wearing and all that kind of stuff. So our props. Our props. <laughs> the props we carry with us yeah. all day. <laughs> so, I mean, that's all included in nonverbal. Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah. And that's how we can kind of get accurate reads on people even before we hear what they have to say just because there's so much that we're taking in visually mm-hmm. that it's hard to parse all the information we're gathering and so the study of nonverbal language it's relatively new mm-hmm. so yeah i saw charles darwin's name so you know like i highlighted it because it felt very scientific <laughs> darwin i know that name darwin, darwin. oh hey, yeah that guy <laughs> Old Chuck Darwin. So yeah, in 1872, when he, was, I almost said publicated. <laughs> sure. That's why I went ahead and said it because it's really goofy. <laughs> With his publication of the expression of the emotions in man and animals. Public. What? Wait. What's the actual word? Public. Pub, public. He public published. He published. <laughs> publicated. It's like that's that's he, right though, right? <laughs> <laughs> it should be right. It should be right. If we were in charge of all language, that's the word. Yeah. But yeah, he kind of started the ball rolling. And actually, the ball was rolling way back like when in like even Aristotle and all that. But it didn't become actually a focus. I mean, really, even like, and he talked about it in 1872, but then in... Yeah, that's not like there's been continual study no, of it since then. not he just at like, all. He mentioned it and then everyone yeah. was like, okay, and we all just sort of forgot about it for a while. Yeah, like, what does that have to do with uh, me? Okay. 
And it really didn't, the whole idea, like specifically about body language, didn't really come into the focus in the psychology community until the 70s, really. The 50s, it was played with a little bit, and then it, not until the 70s. So it's it's relatively new. I think we're both using more, because mom just did a little, when she said played with, she like wiggled her fingers at me. I think we're both using Spear more. Fingers. We're, we're using more hand motions than normal just because it's on our mind. Maybe we should have like sound effects every time our hands move. <laughs> You're better at sound effects than that. That's when we do the robot with our hands. Beep, beep, boop, boop. (laughs) Mom just almost left the table. (laughs) You do a very good robot, by the way. (laughs) It's really too bad. We We gotta think of some. Okay. Uh, So, what do we talk about first? Come on, Anna. You're my organizer. uh, The first thing in my notes is facial expressions and eye contact. Ah, Okay. Do you wanna start there? We'll start from the top down. Let's let's do that. Okay, facial expressions. So the facial expressions, part of the reason I had this first is the facial expressions are the first thing we usually see when we look at someone because humans naturally seek out things that look like faces. So like even when we're very like tiny babies. Little babies. Yeah, like babies. babies automatically look at things that look like faces. They just kind of, their eyes are automatically drawn to that. So it's sort of inborn in us. We are capable of over 10,000 different facial expressions. Holy cow. Yes. I'll list them all right now. (laughs) (laughs) Number one. Number one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Facial expressions are the primary way that we convey social information, and it's not even limited to humans. It just looks different when it comes to animals, but animals have facial expressions. I mean, like, you can kind of tell when a dog's (laughs) pissed off, which is never. You can tell when a cat's pissed off, which is always. Always. (laughs) Speak for your own cats. Here's the hot take of the day. The new Lion King movie looks like shit. Have you seen the trailers or whatever? No. They don't have facial expressions. It's like a live action Lion King movie. They don't have like facial they're like real lions. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they're real animals, aren't they? I don't know. I think it's CG. Well, but I mean, they look like real They look animals. like real animals. They don't look like animated. But real lions have facial expressions. They really kind of do that smile and that. I know. Yeah. They like look scared sometimes. Like they have. Yeah. So it's my hot take. My, my media <laughs> hot take of the day. Um, what was I saying? Oh, facial expressions can be voluntary or they can be emotional. Those are kind of the two main things that we do. So voluntary is more based on the learned expressions. So when someone makes like a terrible joke and you give them a frown, like that's a facial expression that you're meaning to do, that you're meaning to project to them. Mm-hmm. Emotional is more subconscious. So for example, blind people display facial expressions just like sighted people. So it's built into us that they kind of display the very same facial expressions. It's not like they've learned that from watching people. So we're usually unaware that we're doing the emotional ones. It's like when you're concentrating and your brow furrows. You don't know that you're doing that. You're not meaning, you're not going like, okay, I'm going to put my brows together Uh so people know that I'm concentrating on this. Uh You just sort of do it. Right. It's just something you do without really thinking. I think it's so cool that no matter what, I mean, we will talk probably throughout this podcast about that there are differences in culture and that 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 has a big effect on nonverbal communication. But universally speaking, that there are basic facial expressions that we all share, no matter what our culture, no matter what our language, no matter where we grew up, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just think that's so cool. That's really cool. Like if you watch a foreign movie... You can kind of tell what's going on if you turn Mm -hmm. the subtitles off. I mean, you can at least tell what the actors are trying to convey just by the emotion on their faces. Right. If they're good actors, I guess. And I guess so. (laughs) So did you see anywhere that they had like a list of those that are universal? Yeah, well, okay, so the thing that I saw, this is actually next in my notes. We didn't plan this. Oh, sorry, I jumped ahead. It's okay. No, this is... I was so excited. No, it's my very next bullet point after what I just said. So Dr. Paul Ekman conducted a study with photographs and stories. So he would go to cultures and he would give them three different stories or different kind of contexts. And he would say, okay, so a friend is coming. And then he would hold out three pictures and say, which one looks like it connects with that story or that situation. Mm-hmm. So it was like a friend is coming, an enemy is coming, or someone you love just died. 
So like, and, and then he held out like a happy expression photo and a mean, like an angry expression photo and a sad expression photo. And the different cultures would like, he gave the Eastern cultures Western pictures and then they would pick which ones and they would always pick the same ones. Mm. So the seven, like you said, there were seven that he said are universal. So it's happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, contempt, and surprise. But like I said, there's 10,000 facial expressions. So I right. think those are just the ones that are kind of neatly put into categories that can be very exaggerated and very disgust face you can really make it exaggerated so i think i don't know there's just we were both yeah, just let's disgust do right facing now, yeah. each other so i, I love think, doing that with kids in counseling in therapy like when you talk about the feelings no yeah. having them do it oh yeah you know can, oh make an angry face yeah, make yeah an what does an angry face, face look like what, what do you look like mm-hmm. when you're mad uh-huh yeah i love doing that so with facial expressions there is eye contact And eye contact is something that does vary a lot between cultures. So certain Asian cultures may see direct eye contact as competitive. In Nigeria, eye contact is avoided entirely. And in some cultures, lowering your eyes signals respect. But in the Western world, maintaining eye contact regulates conversation. It's more assertive to maintain eye contact and it's more expected, I think, to maintain a certain level of eye contact. I think there's a certain level where it becomes a little too much, but it's hard to know that and it kind of depends on the person. (laughs) But eye contact regulates conversational turn taking. So if I'm looking at you and you're talking, but then someone else starts talking, I look at them, it's kind of their turn to talk. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It shows interest or involvement. So this is one of the things that we learned in fancy therapy school is to (laughs) is just if you're just looking at the client and attending to them just visually that's a cue that they should keep talking I mean we don't even really have to say anything and it connects us with others and it can also be like you know it can be flirtatious or it can command attention or it can be intimidating and those all depend on your other nonverbals. so if your body posture is very intimidating and your eye contact is really intense then it's going to look more intimidating than if you're maintaining the same level of eye contact but you look relaxed then you're just you know paying attention to what's going on right so it's more than one thing Right, yeah. These all work together to kind of create one picture. Right. Do you remember when we talked in school about mutual gazing? Yes. Yeah. Not a lot, but... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Basically, mutual gazing Gazing. is when we uh, start to learn Mm. eye contact as a baby. Baby. The baby. So when we're babies and we do something called mutual gazing, that just means like connecting eyes with an adult and then they just look back... Uh And, like, even if there's no interaction, you just, like, look at each other. That's, like, awesome when you have a baby. You just look at them. And so I would look at you, baby Anna, (laughs) and you would look at me for a second. Then you'd be like, I got things to do. (laughs) I got to go. I got born baby stuff. Stuff to do, Mom. See you later. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) And then I would run away. On her little feet. (laughs) (laughs) Your brother was better about the gazing thing than you. You He's more chill. (laughs) Got things to do. But, like, when we avert eye contact, that's not necessarily a bad thing. So, like, I think we have this idea that if, if people look away from us, then they're hiding something or something like that. But really, we tend to look away from people when we need to focus on another mentally demanding task. Because, like, what we've been talking about, when we're looking at someone and they're giving, you know, facial expressions back to us, it takes our processing power to interpret their facial expressions and their mannerisms. So, if they ask us a question and we need to think about it, we may not want to look right in their faces we may Mm -hmm. have to look away so our brains don't have the visual stimuli of looking at someone else's face while we're trying to come up with other information Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you know what i mean home skillish that's (laughs) that's some deep stuff you got going there (laughs) i was just sitting here thinking about how even though those things are not you know they're basically inborn our expressions and stuff that that they are also learned I was thinking particularly about about someone I know that that they have the same and this is about the looking like looking at someone when they talk. Oh yeah. That um you remember Anna that when you were little there was a little girl in your class that when she would talk to you she would look up oh, over yeah. you, remember? All and, the time. Yeah, I don't right. think she ever looked in my eyes when she was right. talking to me. And I was her teacher as well and I remember that when I met her mother and her mother did the same thing. Really? And so then you wonder, okay, how much of that is learned and how much of that is, you know, so it goes to the nature versus nurture thing. Right. So some of our 
some of the way we use our face, I think, is absolutely learned. Well, right. I mean, like we were just talking about the mutual gazing thing. So if we're babies and we don't have that, like if we don't have the mutual gazing, then we kind of don't learn the importance of eye contact, even though we do seek out faces naturally. But Mm -hmm. if we're talking, then we might not necessarily see eye contact as that important. Right. So, and I would, I would throw in here, and I could throw it in several places in our little thing today about nonverbal technology. And I know you know I, you, you always say that I, I pick on technology. <laughs> I'm doing a nonverbal gesture by rolling. She's doing my eyes it right rolling now. Rolling her eyes movement now. <laughs> but if your baby, and I mean like, little, if your baby's little, always on person, their phone. <laughs> And some of them are. You laugh, but little bitty kids that that (laughs) spend more time on screens than Mm -hmm. looking at mommy or daddy's face, you know, they need to learn how to look at a person. Yeah. Yes. Are you That's my technology technology moment for the day. (laughs) I realize that this podcast is very technology based (laughs) and I should not bash technology. So if you're looking at your phone to turn us off right now. a, A balance. Yeah, well, yeah, All there has to be a balance. things in life are about balance. Yes. So okay. while we're talking about eye contact, I feel like we have to mention this thing that if a person is looking a certain way, it means they're lying or not lying. Yeah, there's a lot about that. There is a lot about that. No, granted, everything I looked at basically had the same information. Mm-hmm. I just don't know enough about it to know if it's true. Mm-hmm. So every chart that I found is like, if you're looking at a person and they look to their left, to your right, then they are remembering something. But if they look to their right, to your left, they're fabricating, they're constructing a Mm -hmm. memory or constructing images. So I I don't honestly know if that's, uh, I didn't uh, do much of a deep dive on that to see how true it was. But everything I found was very consistent about it. They've done a lot of research on it. And like you said, several different sources all say the same thing. So... Right. That's very specific, though. I mean, you'd have to be very into that. I know. This is one of those, like, if you're going to become a human lie detector thing, that yeah. that's one of the, I don't know. And I, I've thought of that several times before, that ah, the next time I'm watching someone, I'm going to look for that. But I never do. So I don't know. One Maybe of those things help. in the eye thing was about rubbing your eyes. Yeah. And it was about, like, it's a sign of disbelief or upset. And then in parentheses, it said, or tiredness. Yeah. Because the other day I was with a client and I felt like I had something in my eye. Mm -hmm. And I was very self-conscious because I wanted to get that out of my eye. And I was trying not to like rub my eye. So you were just winking at them continually? (laughs) (laughs) And they were very confused. They were like, I have to go. (laughs) I feel no longer safe in this room with you. I feel uncomfortable. So sometimes life just happens and you got to rub your eye. <laughs> I, I'll be up front. Like I had, I had that happen to me the other day and I was like, just a second, I got crud in my eye. And I like, <laughs> I like paused and just like dug in my eye for a second. I was like, okay, we can continue. So there's other parts of eye contact that are less just about how much we're looking at each other. So there's things like pupil dilation, cueing us into excitement and pleasure and attraction that... There's that thing that if you notice someone's pupils dilate when they look at you, that means they're attracted to you. But it could just mean they're excited. Or they're stoned. Yeah, or they're stoned. (laughs) Or they're stoned. Either I really like you or I'm so stoned. Or they're turning into a werewolf when about to attack you. I don't know. There's, There's so many complexities in eye contact. Stress levels are often related to blink rates, too. That the more you blink, the more stressed you are. Mm. There was this guy who looked at presidential debates. His name was Joe Techie. Techie? Good name. T-E-C-C-E. I don't know. So he said in presidential debates, the faster blinker has lost every election since 1980. Wow. Yeah. But okay, so that's, and the criticisms I found of that were like, well, it's kind of reductive in that blinking is not the only thing that indicates stress. They could just have very dry eyes. I don't know. Like, you know, but fun fact, I guess. (laughs) Fun and, and scary fact. Fun and scary fact. Okay. All right, do you have anything to add about eye contact, facial expressions in your 69 notes? <laughs> 69 notes. No, except that I would add that obviously when... <laughs> do you have anything to add? No, except I'm going to add... No. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, fine. <laughs> no, add it. No, add it. What are you going to say? I don't know where it fits, but I really want to say it. Say it. I don't know that it fits here. Say it. Because it's about kindergartners, and you know how I love <laughs> kindergartners. Is it about eye contact or facial expressions? Yeah. Then it fits. Say it. But it also about other things. But okay, let me tell you. Okay. 
because I have this special connection to kindergartners for that strange sounds weird. reasons. For context, she used to teach kindergartners. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not, it's not a weird not thing. Not a weird thing. I used to be a kindergarten teacher. I have the weird kindergartner teacher outfits to prove it, which will come in later when we talk about the way we present ourselves <laughs> right. through our clothing. But there was a study done with kindergartners that the kindergartners who were able to identify emotions through facial expressions like the ones who are the best at saying that's a happy face that's a sad face because you know some kindergartners don't really get that. right there was a high correlation that they were the most popular kids like the kids that other kids wanted to be friends with probably which I think is cool that probably has to do with mirroring that if we can recognize so mirroring is just it's just what it sounds like it's mirroring the expressions that people are giving to us mm-hmm. so if we can tell what expression they're giving and what they're feeling based on that expression we can mirror that back to them and they're going to feel more connected to us. Right. So at a very rudimentary level, it is important that we are aware of other people's, it's kind of an empathy thing. Right. That that makes us connect with one another. Right. So the facial expression thing is important. It's important that we acknowledge what other people's facial expressions are and not just be looking at our phone. Ooh, one more jab at technology. I didn't tell you guys she's still standing on her soapbox. (laughs) Okay, That's the only ne- way she can see over the table. I was going to say, I'm too short to see if I don't stand on my soapbox. Okay, so what's next after facial expressions? Uh, the next thing on my list is body posture, body positioning, that kind of thing. Okay. So this includes things like if you're standing straight, if you have your shoulders set straight, if your legs are set far apart, if your arms are crossed, all that kind of stuff. So just the way our body is positioned, not necessarily the way we're moving it because that's more gestures and, and body movement, but this is just kind of how we're standing or how we're sitting. This is used to determine our attention or involvement in a situation, and we can tell the status between people using it. So if a person looks more reverential to the person they're talking to, or if the person looks more intimidating, then it could be a show of status. We can use it to determine level of fondness between people or a level of openness between people. So there's this thing called positive body conditioning. And this is basically kind of the, this is kind of a quick tips for how to position your body so you seem open toward others, or at least involved with others, connected to others. So standing straight is very important, or sitting straight. Just don't, don't slouch, because slouching is kind of connected to laziness. Face the person, a general rule I saw, is having your heart facing the person that you want to be engaged with. Mm -hmm. Don't cross your arms because that can be taken defensively. You can have some limb movement, so you can be motioning a little bit, but it's important not to fidget because then you look nervous. For men, cross legs while you're sitting can be a bad gesture, but for women, you can usually do it without a problem which is probably based on like wearing skirts and stuff, I would assume. Probably. Which you don't have to wear skirts if you're uh-huh. it's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Except in interviews where if you have your legs crossed, then it's usually seen as like closed off. I don't know why it's different. Well, I think there's kind of a sexual undertone to the way you cross your legs when you're a female. Explain. That you can cross your legs in a way that's more alluring and sexy. <laughs> Like that scene in that You're movie like so where she... <laughs> no, not... No, she was not crossing them. She was spreading them and then crossing them. No, I mean like, like you know, you cross your legs a certain way. You cross your legs like at your ankle. Oh, and yeah. And sit very ladylike. That's sure. a very ladylike position. But if you cross your legs like at your knees, like one leg over the other leg. Oh. Or some women like cross their legs at their knee and then kind of twist their leg around their leg. <laughs> Pretzel which yourself. Is, yeah, pretzel legs. So which do you think but is the most sexy? The pretzel leg. The pretzel leg. Yeah, ah, yes. Like, I am the so universal flexible. sexy move, the pretzel <laughs> leg. But my issue with all of that is that we often just sit the way we're comfortable. Yeah. And so if we're either right. tall or heavy or set or short, our legs are more comfortable in a certain position. So then to say, well, you know, if you cross your legs, you're doing this, or if you don't cross your legs, when in reality, it could just be the way your body is comfortable right. in a chair. Like the way I'm sitting right now is that I have my legs like crisscross applesauce up on my stool. Mm-hmm. It's just the way, I mean, part of that is because my legs are too short to hit the ground. Most places I sit, like even like booths in restaurants, I usually <laughs> sit crisscross applesauce. I just, that's most comfortable for me. And it's very awkward when I have to sit in, in counseling sessions where I can't do that. 
if I'm really comfortable with the client and we're doing something, like if we're sitting on the floor, like playing a card game, I'll sit like that. But usually I have to sit with my, my legs crossed like a mm-hmm. proper adult. And I'm like, this is awful. I hate this. So Well, the is. way that that is kind of, it's called, I, I thought it was funny, that it's called the American stance or sit. I can't remember the, where, you know, like you kind of picture men sitting that way with one leg lying on top of the other leg. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, like a four. Yeah, it so looks like, like a letter, a yeah, number so like four. Yeah, so like you have one foot on the ground and then your other foot has like your ankle on the opposite knee. Right, right. And so usually like the, men sit that yes. way. But that is physically for me, that's very comfortable. Comfortable? Okay. It's very yeah. comfortable. I It's much more comfortable than sitting with my legs tightly crossed. Right. But I don't sit that way because I'm aware that socially it's kind of a, the way guys sit. Right. And so I was taught at a young age that you don't sit that way. And not because I had skirts on because I hardly ever wore skirts. But it just was, you know, it's in the back of my head. That's the way that a man would sit. Seems like a power move to me. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that does bring up an important point that sometimes we do things with our bodies just because it's physically comfortable. Even the crossing the arms. Because if you're cold, you cross your arms, right? Yeah, you cross your arms. So it could have nothing to do with the way you're trying to communicate. Or if you put your hands in your pocket it's because they're cold or because you're bored or because you like are grabbing your phone like it could look Mm -hmm. like you are wanting to leave the situation or you're uncomfortable or something Mm -hmm. so so this is another part where you're just being self-aware of how you're standing and if someone's reacting to you weirdly being aware of like okay do I like have my arms crossed and I don't mean to look that way or can I call attention to that? Like, if you are standing with your arms crossed because you're cold and someone's treating you, like, kind of acting like, hey, are you okay? You could be like, oh, oh, I'm, cold. I'm just cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's body positioning, posture, etc. Next one is proxemics. What? That's where I was going next. I was oh, going to okay. say, does that include that? But that's a whole separate. Well, sort of. I, I kind of lumped them all in together. Mm-hmm. So proxemics is how close we are to some. <laughs> Mom just tried to aggress into my personal space, but she's sitting across the table from me, so she just, like, looked really weird doing it. So, Edward... That's the look you get on your face. That's when you're invading someone's personal space. I always think of Seinfeld when I think of this. Remember, there was a Seinfeld thing about close talkers. Oh, yeah. I have some close talkers in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So, Edward T. Hall was an anthropologist, and he identified four zones of proxemics. So there's intimate distance, which is like less than an inch to 18 inches. So that's if someone's like close enough to hug you or touch you or like whisper in your ear. That's intimate distance. Breathe on your face. Breathe on your face. (laughs) (laughs) Personal space is one and a half feet to four feet. So this is reserved for interactions with, you know, good friends or family. Mm-hmm. We're kind of at personal distance. This table is about four feet across, so we're kind of at personal distance right now. It seems far, though. It does. It seems very far away. Social distance is four feet to 12 feet, and that's for acquaintances. I know, that seems pretty 12 far. 12 feet? How do that's you very talk far. to each other? Well, hello uh, over there. <laughs> if you're like, if you're in a part, it's since it's a social, party. if you're like a party and you're in a circle... Or okay. if you're sitting across a circle from someone. Okay. Or if you're in a group therapy setting and you're 12 feet across the circle, then okay. s- social distance. Got it. And public is anything after that, basically. So that's like for public speaking and theater and, and that kind of stuff. So most people regard their personal space, so basically anything in from four feet, as psychologically theirs. Like when we talk about a personal bubble, that's it. The problem with this is that in modern society, especially in cities that are a little bit more crowded, it can be really difficult to maintain personal space. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, think of, you know, walking down a crowded street or sitting on a bus, you know. It's very hard to maintain that personal space when you kind of have to be up against someone. But we try to preserve it however we can. So we will avoid eye contact if we're walking really close to people or that thing when you're you're in an elevator, like you're kind of packed in and no one's really (laughs) looking at each other. That's because we're still trying to psychologically maintain our personal space even if we can't physically maintain it so we'll do things like you know trying not to touch people if we're standing too close to them we'll kind of shift our bodies so we don't have to be pressed up against them so that the kind of thing so if we have to be around people that we don't really know if those acquaintances are in our space that's meant for friends and family then we'll do things that are like okay i'm just gonna pretend you're not here (laughs) i'm just gonna not look at you and pretend you're not in my personal space right now I don't like oh I don't like standing in a line at the like at a grocery store or Walmart or something and yeah. people come up like 
Someone just did that to me the other day. I was just standing, and you know, I mean, you give someone a little you bit of leeway. You kind of stay back because yeah, you, you don't want to get on their space. Yeah, but he didn't have a cart or anything, so it wasn't oh, like he was bumping into the cart. But he was like, I'm. He was like six inches away from me, and I kept scooting up, and he kept kind then of he'll shifting scoot. up, and I'm yeah. like, what the hell are you yeah. doing? Yeah, it's not okay, man. No, <laughs> stay out of my bubble. No. <laughs> And that kind of leads into the next one, which is haptics. So this is touch. Uh, this is touch communication. Haptics. Haptics. The, What's the hap? The, oh, there's cool mom again. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, cool mom, to the stage. <laughs> Thank you for recognizing me <laughs> cool, as mom. cool mom. <laughs> so, is the finger clicking in there anywhere for nonverbal? Finger guns? We should definitely have that in there It's somewhere. a gesture. For only cool people. For only... That's a cool <laughs> gesture. Haptics. Tell Haptics. me about it. So that means touch. The way you've probably seen this word is when you like go into your phone settings where you can turn off haptic feedback. So like when you it touch... It says that in there? Yeah. So if you turn off haptic feedback, that means when you press buttons on your phone, your phone won't... Bzz, it like won't do the vibration. Oh. So that's haptic feedback. So that's touch feedback. Wow. Yeah. So this includes things like handshakes, high five, kissing, pats on the back, all the stuff that is just you touching someone else. Just mom's hugging herself. <laughs> I don't think that counts. <laughs> and the meaning does depend on the culture. So this is a time that the culture is very specific on what kind of touch is appropriate, basically. Right. It depends on the context of the situation. It depends on the relationship between the touchers and, of course, the manner of the touch. So, you know, if you're... If you're kind of standing next to someone and you're joking around with them and you give them an elbow, like you kind of elbow their arm a little bit like playfully, then that's going to be read as very different than if you want them to shut up and you like elbow their arm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it depends on the context. Obviously, this is where things like like physical violence comes in, that that's a type of haptic communication, but certainly not a pleasant one or a positive one. We don't usually bring politics in at all, but we've heard lately in the news about Biden and his physicality with people. And it's kind of gotten him into some hot water a little bit. Right. But I think it was an important thing that came out that, you know, generationally speaking, we've had different lines of acceptability in that, especially, you know, with men Mm -hmm. and the way that they would interact with women. Right. So, but I think too that we think about the way that we touch people that draws us together in that empathy thing because mm-hmm. i don't oh, yeah. know about you anna but there are times when i'm with a client and they're really upset and i feel very drawn to you know touch their arm or pat them on the back yeah i usually say to them is it okay with yes. you if i put my hand yeah on the it's back, important you know? and that's kind of i guess this is the generational thing that you were talking about that yeah. that now we are becoming much more aware of consent right that like i've seen a lot of people talk about raising their kids and basically raising them to say like okay usually it would be you know go give grandma a kiss mm-hmm. but now it's like do you want to give grandma a kiss right because i mean even little kids we should be teaching them about consent and saying if they don't want to touch people and they don't want people to touch them mm-hmm. so that includes people like friends and family but yeah I'll do the same thing like I had a client in my office the other day that was just really overwhelmed with emotion and I just felt like she needed touch she right. needed physical touch and right. the way my office is set up I had to like go over so I asked can I come sit by you and then I went over when she said she that was okay mm-hmm. and then I said okay can I put my hand on your arm is that okay and she kind of nodded and I said okay if at any point you want me to stop touching you, you just need to tell me mm-hmm. but eventually she loosened up and kind of started talking about things that she wasn't ready to talk about before so I think sometimes touch is very important to humans right just as humans touching is like you said how we connect and we get a lot of information from touching others and it's just one of the ways we feel connected so it's it's really important to people like there was a study where babies were left without touch their sight and everything was okay and they were fed but their moms wouldn't like touch them they wouldn't like pick them up I think some of the babies died. I, I didn't look up the study. It's been a while since I heard about it. Mm-hmm. But I think they, they literally died. They, we can't survive without touch sometimes, which is hard. I've had a lot of talks about this with my couple's clients, that some families just aren't very touchy families. Right. Like they'll hug, you know, at family gatherings or maybe, but mm-hmm. they don't touch a lot. And you and I have talked about this in our in our Love Languages episode that we were a very touchy family. Right. 
And so we hug each other all the time. We, we, you would rub my back all the time. So mm-hmm. I carried that into my relationship. And me and my husband have had to kind of find the middle ground between how much he wants to be touched. Because it's not like his family never touched. I mean, they hug and stuff. But not like all the time and not like, you know, they sit next to each other and rub each other's backs and stuff. Like, I think couples don't think about that because we think of it as, well, if I if I like to hug, other people like to hug, you know? And that would just generalize into the whole world if yeah. you think about it. Because like, if you're from a family who does touch and who pats on the back and give high fives or whatever, and then you're in society at large and you expect that to just generalize into your workplace, right. it might not. So right. you, you have to be aware of that. Don't just go in and be like, I'm yeah. so happy to meet you and just give them a hug immediately. Like, test because the Because I, I have bit. worked, and I'm a very physical person, yeah. but I've worked with people who are, you know, uncomfortably physical, you know, where yeah. they get like real in your space yeah, and, yeah. and you just kind I want to go too much whoa whoa too whoa, much whoa, whoa. back up yeah so that is an important part of our nonverbal. and that's hard in i mean talking about how important touch is that's hard in the mental health field because i often feel like clients you know want a hug or something mm-hmm, or and mm-hmm. don't know how to ask for it but i i always wait for them to mm-hmm. initiate it i like maybe once in a while i'll be like you seem like you need a hug. Do you just need a hug? And Mm -hmm. usually like it's when I have rapport built up with them and I know that they're comfortable with that. But mostly I think it just depends on their level of comfort and their level of, you know, what that touch means to them. Mm -hmm. That maybe they have negative connotations for touch. Mm -hmm. So we just need to not assume anything about the person that we're communicating with and what their levels of comfort are. We always need to ask beforehand. Exactly. And this is another thing where culture is important too. So in 1995, there was a study from Remland and Jones and they looked at different cultures and groups and they showed that among like English, French, Dutch people, that touch was more rare as opposed to groups like Italians and Greeks. And and those are kind of stereotypes at this point yeah, almost. Yeah. Like my big fat Greek wedding where they're all like kissing nah. each other on the cheeks and stuff. Uh-huh. So so that is, I mean, there's there's some level of research component to that. So the next one is gestures. So this is actually moving Ooh. your body. Yeah. This We're is, not good at that this at all. This is where <laughs> finger guns comes in. Yeah. So gestures can be your hands, your arms, your body, like shrugging. I mean, it's kind of your shoulders. And then smaller things like the head. You can have gestures of your face. Like it's kind of distinct from facial expressions, but like winking. I mean, that's a that's a, not really a facial expression. It's a facial gesture. Right. Like nodding your head, that sort of thing. And there are a few different categories. Did you see these? No. You got way deeper <laughs> than I did. So I had 69 pages and I... <laughs> you don't have the gesture categories? I have gesture, but I don't have the categories. Oh, okay. Well, the weird so thing tell is... tell me about them. I'm going to try. But every single source I looked at had different category, like, names and makeups. Like, some were like, here are the four categories. Here are the five categories. This cat- <laughs> these two categories are different. These two categories aren't even in there. These two categories are no- in nowhere consistency, else. Consistency, people. I know. There's we no consistency, consistency at all. So there's these are just the ones that I'm kind of generalizing. So the first one would be what's called emblematic or quotable gestures. And these are conventional, usually culture specific, but they can be used basically as replacements for words. So like when we wave as a hello, mom just flipped me off. (laughs) Is that one of them? (laughs) Yes, it is. I didn't mean that personally. I just, <laughs> I just wanted like to show you that's what about. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one that can be used. So that's, it's called speech independent, that it doesn't necessarily need to be accompanied by speech for us to take the meaning of the gesture because it has its own meaning. So, you know, when you throw up a peace sign, we usually know what that means. When mm-hmm. you flip someone off, you know what that means. So it it's very, it's very specific and it kind of has its own, usually cultural specific meaning. There's illustrators. So illustrators obviously illustrate specific concrete things. So like that's when you hold your hand up for he was this tall. Ah. Or ideas. So like when you're explaining a concept and you just you don't know how to explain how big the concept is. So you're waving your arms out really far just to kind of explain the vastness of the situation. So just to kind of illustrate whatever we're talking about. Usually these aren't very culturally specific, especially the more concrete ones. Like if you're talking to someone of another culture, you know, when you hold your hands out a certain size to show how big the fish was, they're going to understand that. That's right. 
but different cultures can use them with different frequency or intensity. So this is kind of where the uh, the hand talker kind of comes in, the stereotypical like Italian hand talker, you know what I mean? So that's where that comes in with cultural specificity. Ooh, good word. Thank you. The next one, this is the one that most lists did not agree on, on what it was called. In fact, so it's either affect gestures or sometimes it was called adapters. And on one source I looked at, it said adapters aren't even gestures. What? I don't know that there's special things. You need to agree. I don't know. Come on, guys. But these are meant to convey a specific desire or emotion, and they're usually unconscious. And the reason they're called adapters is because they're manipulating either your body or an object. So like, <coughs> oh my goodness. I'm coughing. I'm Mom sorry. Mom is I sick. She is. She has a tough. <laughs> I have a tough. She's sorry. very sick. She is uh, sacrificing being in bed right now to, to <laughs> come here and do this podcast for your listening pleasure. <laughs> not very pleasurable not very I'm pleasurable just coughing in the mic <laughs> sorry <laughs> so it's when we're manipulating the person or an object so when you're oh so like some of the examples like when you said when kids rub their eyes when they're really tired uh-huh. that's like an adapter because they're manipulating their face uh oh. when you adjust your clothing or your hair when you want to make sure that you're presenting yourself well or you want to make sure you're well liked by others and, and so again, like, I mean, there are people who like run their hands through their hair or, or smooth their hair or kind of straighten their clothes unconsciously right. because it's conveying a desire for other people to think that they're well put together. So it's sometimes we straighten our clothes and stuff consciously, but sometimes we just do that, you know, as a, as a kind of habitual thing. Or like tapping your pencil when you're nervous. So that kind of stuff that is sometimes unconscious. These are kind of the more unconscious of the, of the categories. The next ones are regulators. So these, again, are for controlling the turn-taking in conversation. So like pointing at someone or like nodding at someone or when you're finished talking and you kind of were hand-talking and then you drop your hands. So as kind of signifiers for, okay, next person who's talking is going to talk now or like moving on to the next subject or something like that. So it's controlling and maintaining the flow of conversation. And the next one is beat gestures. So this is exactly what it sounds like. It's like rhythmic beating of like a finger or a hand or an arm. And this taps into like the monkey brain part of us that likes patterns. (laughs) So this is like when you do a single beat, it can draw attention to a specific thing. So if you're talking, you're really mad and you just... Yeah, exactly. Like, emphasize that point. Mm -hmm. Or this can be repeated beats that hammer home a concept. So this is the clapping between words thing. (laughs) Because you're so serious and you want people to listen. That thing. So that is a a beat gesture when you do that. Mm. Gestures can go on for a long time. What about like when you put on your chest? Yeah. Close your one. Yeah. Do you ever do that when you're mad? I do that. Beat on my chest like a gorilla? I know. And that's, it kind of upset me because when I was looking at all this stuff, it said that it was a very masculine thing and it had something to do. But when I'm really upset, like, you don't understand how upset I am. And like, I point. It's not so much beating. It's like more pointing to my chest, like poking myself. Ouch. That really hurts. (laughs) You're really poking yourself. No, I've never done that. No? That's good. You didn't get that from me. <laughs> I should don't beat my chest like an angry gorilla when I get mad. Ah, like Tarzan. No, no. <laughs> that was a lot. You know, that was a very educational. Thank you. I Thank tried. you. I should have taken notes. Is it... <laughs> Do you have room for that on your 69 pages? <laughs> I have a blank What page. even are you? I'm sorry. I don't want to call you out, but what are you contributing from your 69 pages? Uh, not a lot. Not a lot. What do you have that I have not talked about? <laughs> Pretty much everything you have, I have. Okay. You just have it more wordy? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just sit here and page through it while you're talking through You're like, it. uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Check, uh-huh. Check. Uh-huh. Check. Okay. We'll just jump in if, if I'm hitting things it's... that you have that <laughs> you want to talk about instead. What's after that? Um, what do you have after that? So now we get into paralanguage Pair language is like the tone of our voice and how our voices sound when we're communicating. So this is things like the volume of our voice and the rate of our voice and like the pitch of our voice. Right. So not necessarily what we're saying, but how we're saying it. So it's, again, this is kind of weirdly on the line between verbal and nonverbal. But we've all experienced that where somebody says something to us and the words are kind, but you can hear in the voice. It's like, Uh that is not the way they mean that. Exactly. But... 
Oh, oh, going back to technology. This that's another problem with texting. You know you've had that problem with oh, texting. Oh, yeah, sure. Where you read a text and you're like, oh, how okay, dare they but would that's say not technology. It. I mean, we've had that since letters were a thing. That's true. When but, we look at cave drawings, but if we, we were stone <laughs> tablets, we don't know their inflection. Anna, what? Anna Marie. <laughs> You are taking that too far. By the tone of your voice, I hear that you're angry at me. Do you hear the mother scolding voice? Yes. The point is, it's not just what somebody says. No, yeah. That we do count on those other cues. Yeah. Yeah. But there are some specific kind of paralanguage cues. So gasps are usually unintentional, but they portray, you know, shock or or surprise and or it could be just a physical attempt to draw in more breath. Like if we feel like we're (laughs) I'm on oxygen. I don't know. (laughs) So so sometimes it's emotional but sometimes not. Size, uh they're usually negative like dismay or boredom, but also could be positive, like relief. And size, I saw that animals do size too. Like have you ever heard your dog go Our our dog (gasps) always does that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 they sound very sad when they do it. Yeah, she's a big fat dog, so she makes big size. Again, usually automatic. Throat clearing. Remember, we talked about throat Ooh. clearing. So this can be a sign of rank, like oh. you're, tr- like you're, like you're putting your status. <coughs> your rank. Exactly. We can walk into a room and it's time for a meeting to start, and you clear your throat, and mm-hmm. all your subordinates have to pay attention to you. Or it could be a sign of disapproval. I read that on the internet, so it's true. <laughs> so now all your childhood concerns yes. are put into order. Yes. All right. And then there's things like, mm-hmm. And this even said, like, this is between language and nonverbal because it's you're vocalizing something. But it's, again, this is one of those conversational regulator things where you can use it to either kind of take time to pause or you can just use it as a... A minimal encourager. Yeah, minimal encouragers. Yeah. To get a person to keep talking. Right. We learned that. So in, again, fancy therapy school, mm-hmm. one of the things we had to do, awful, awful thing we had to do, was we had to tape our sessions, like when Ugh. we were interns, and then we had to transcribe them. And then when we transcribed them, we would have to label the skill we were using. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I labeled a lot of minimal encouragers. <laughs> When That's because we're encouraging people. I would people. say, uh-huh, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or hmm, mm-hmm. or oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of that going on. So if, you, if you're in counseling and your therapist is doing that, they are giving you a minimal encourager to show you that they are still engaged in what you're saying and that you should keep talking. And we do that with our friends when we're yeah. just talking with our friends. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh. Oh. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The next 10 minutes of our podcast is just going <laughs> to be us going, do that. oh, <laughs> so that's paralanguage. And then this is the last thing on my list, uh, but you're, oh man, okay. Mom hates this, so she's very happy when we're about to stop. I don't hate it, I love it. I just like getting to the end of things. <laughs> the end of long lists. I feel like right now I have a lot of long lists oh, in my man, life. yeah. So the last one on my list is things like appearance. So this is our clothing, how we're dressed. What something I saw called artifacts, which is props, like you said. So the things we're carrying. This is one of those things that, what? I'm just thinking like we went to recently, and we've talked about this in one of our other podcasts, that we went to a workshop about art therapy. Yeah. And there was an exercise where we were drawing a person and she was instructing us and and she told us that we should draw something like in our hands and something that we're, you know. But that's what I think of when you say the word artifacts, like something that we carry with us that like represents who we (laughs) are. Just we carry all the time. Like, yeah. So like I always carry my guitar with me. (laughs) Just always in my hand, I guess. (laughs) I always carry, I did this the other day at work. I wanted to go downstairs, but I didn't want anyone to ask me a question or something. So I like carried a folder to make it look like I was busy. (laughs) Very busy, don't talk to me. I got busy, I had things to do. I got to put this folder in a thing. (laughs) I'm focused, I'm focused. I have a thing, I got a thing, I don't know. So if you want to look busy, you got to carry something and then people will leave you alone. That's a great example of nonverbal, like purposefully. (laughs) Like intentional nonverbal. That was a very intentional. I even like stood in my office going, what what should I carry that will make me look the most busy (laughs) if people won't ask me a question? Because I have things to do. Oh, I hope if somebody you work with listens to this podcast, they call you out about that. That's fine. They can. (laughs) So one of the ones that really struck me in that category was tattoos. 
Oh, I didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is that's in your appearance, and that's and that's very like our our culture is more open about tattoos. Mm-hmm. But I think people still, even I, I really like tattoos. I don't have any, but I really like tattoos. So when I see someone with tattoos, I have kind of switched from the kind of judgy thing that a lot of people have and that I even I used to have that you see someone with just a sleeve of tattoos and you're like whoa they're (laughs) They're serious I'm not gonna mess with them but I'm Mm. like oh what's your tattoos can I see your tattoos Mm -hmm. I love your tattoos so I think it depends on how you view tattoos as to how you're gonna judge that person on a first impression I think that is what you said at the beginning of that comment is that our society has really, that's one of the things that we've really grown and changed in the idea of having a tattoo and why you have a tattoo. And I agree with you. I think it's really cool to ask people about what their tattoo means to them. Yeah, yeah. Because it is a really cool way to get some very instant insight into the person when they explain to you why they got a tattoo. Yeah, yeah. But that's the nonverbal that we, if we decide to get a tattoo that people are going to see on us all the time, Mm -hmm. we are choosing to make that comment to the world to the people who see it all the time around right us, so. yeah that's part of that's part of the nonverbals that we're doing that's part mm-hmm. of the image that we're putting forth and even like the way that we wear our hair the way we wear our makeup the kind of makeup we wear, we wear the clothes we wear it's all part of our nonverbal which those are more intentional i mean those are absolutely yeah the other day i was walking um I had to pick up a prescription as I was leaving. I saw this girl who I had noticed her on the way in and she was just dressed so cute. And as I left, I almost walked past her and then I stopped and I was like, hey, I just want to tell you that your outfit is the cutest. And she like looked so touched. I mean, like it was a very simple interaction, but that I could tell she put effort into her appearance and that just when we notice things about other people, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm trying to get into a a habit where I comment on those things more, just giving people little compliments that maybe you wouldn't otherwise give. Because what's the harm? Like, there's no harm in saying like, wow, that's a really cute shirt. Or like, oh, wow, your makeup looks really good today or or something like that. There's nothing, there's nothing you lose from that. And you could really make someone's day. So Mm -hmm. I think it's important to acknowledge the things that people have obviously put thought and effort into. I like that. But that goes into the appearance thing. And and appearance also includes things like, you know, how clean or dirty we are. And if we, you know, obviously haven't put time and effort into our appearance, the people that's going to go into people's first impressions of us. Mm -hmm. So something that would play into this idea would be the idea, unfortunately, of whether our socioeconomic status, you know, and if we... Sometimes we can't control that. Right. And if we are living in poverty, that, that we can't dress the way we would like to dress. You and know. that's why when people talk about things like the cycle of poverty, mm-hmm. that if you are, you know, living in a situation where you can't have access to the cleanest clothes or you can't take a shower yet, then the people that are going to see you are going to judge you on that. And maybe you're going to have less opportunities than if you did have access to a shower and a washing machine. So it's going to affect your, you know, maybe job opportunities or how people are going to interact with you on the street or anything like that. So it's kind of pushing you further down into that cycle. Well, I didn't know we were going to go there for our last bullet point. That was kind of a deep thing to end on. Mm -hmm. I think it is a deep thing, though, that every day we make choices, we're big in that, about how we present ourselves to the world. And unfortunately, sometimes we're in a place, whether it's because of our socioeconomic status and where we are in our life or our mental health. And like if we're in depression or we have deep anxiety. Yeah, some days it's like a shower seems like way too much work. Right. So there's a lot of things that go into our, our day every day about how we present ourselves to the world. But in the end, it's a choice. In the end, it is a choice, you know, that we do our best. That we do our best. Our best. We can't. And sometimes, so like, to be clear, sometimes it's not a choice of whether or not you're going to go take a shower. Right. Because sometimes, like, your body just won't let you do the things that you feel like you should do and that you normally would make a choice to do. If you are really struggling with depression or anxiety or something that's crippling you in that way, then the choice that you have to make is going to ask someone for help with it. Mm, That's good. The choice that you have to make is reaching out and having, you know, exploring therapy options or exploring medication options to get you to a place place where your brain is functioning on an average wavelength that you have the opportunity to make the choice to get up and take a shower before you go into work or even to go into work mm-hmm. I mean sometimes our choice is just more baseline just trying to get ourselves balanced out I like how you jumped on that because we both and I think that hopefully all therapists have that desire to protect 
you know, to not judge. Yeah. And the thing about nonverbal is it is kind of a judgment thing. You do kind of, it's a judgy thing. Yeah. And so uh, something that's important, I think it's really important to me, and I'm sure it is to you too, Anna, is this idea that we don't present these things in a way like, oh, we we can always judge each other. Right. And we always know what the other person's thinking. Here are some quick tips that you can use to judge (laughs) your fellow human. Because that's like the opposite of what we would want to happen in the world. It's just the idea of nonverbal communication is just another way of building our own self-awareness and awareness of our environment. But also, you know, we can use that nonverbal too to maybe reach out and help people who maybe need some help or that we can see some people struggling with things. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't want you to use it in a judgy way. Like if you see someone who looks uncomfortable, instead of going, oh, well, they just shouldn't have come if they're uncomfortable. Just being like... How can I reach out and maybe make them more comfortable? Mm-hmm. Or how can I, maybe I should ask them if they're okay? Or maybe I should ask them if they need help? Or or maybe I should just be attending to them and be trying to do what I can to make this situation less stressful? Or what am I doing? What am I putting out into the world that maybe could be making them uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Like that's instead of using it to judge others, maybe turn the reflection in on ourselves and judge ourselves about what we're doing. That's very good. Yeah. Because that's self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's good. I'm mm-hmm. using a minimal encourager. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Is there anything we didn't talk about that we should have? Oh, that's everything on my list, but I only have three pages. <laughs> You have 23 mine, times that. <laughs> mine is just more spread out. I have a whole section about flirting. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Do you tell us about flirting? Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of out of practice, but. You uh, mean you have a section on flirting in your 69 pages? <laughs> I do. <laughs> and someone with a lot more youth should be doing this. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff in here about, you know, the way we look. Shoulder glance is one of them. What does that mean? Looking sideways Looking toward at my shoulder your target to make sure my over your stuff. shoulder. <laughs> do that. Look over your shoulder and glance at them. That signals that you are available and I just looked over my them. shoulder and made eye contact with Leo DiCaprio in my Inception poster. Oh, that was good. <laughs> that was very good. There are there are some that are really intense and some that are like obvious. Smiling is an obvious sign of welcoming and friendliness. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> but then we move on to You oh. heard it here, folks. Here's the first time you heard it. Smiling is welcoming. Ba ba ba. Moistening your lips. Ew. I know it's gross. I use that word. Um parting your lips. Those are all flicking your hair, the whole hair flick thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> know. If, am I doing it? When you have short hair, I don't know what you do yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. Tilt- <laughs> you have to shake your head vigorously. Tilting your head so to expose your neck in case you're attracted in- to a vampire. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Straightening your posture because nobody likes somebody who slouches. It says that in there. Yeah. <laughs> Sexual. Oh, I. <laughs> that was Freudian. <laughs> You're I, on the right podcast I, for it, baby. Self-touching. Sexual touching. And then, and then the next line says sexually appealing to other people. If you like touch your hair. Oh, it goes all the way. It says touch your neck, your hair, your cleavage, your thigh. <laughs> Just run your it hands is- down your body. <laughs> We're getting really direct here. <laughs> yeah. Fondle yourself openly in front of the person that you're attracted to. That will probably bring out something that we don't want to do. <laughs> Eyelash flicker. Okay, but blinking is a sign of stress and you'll lose a presidential election. Don't try to flirt so with if your you're presidential. Flirting and you're trying to run for president, you probably won't be elected. Okay. But you might get find the ballot. The person that you're attracted to, who knows? <sighs> you'll so, lose the presidency, but you'll win at love. Here it is. The leg twine. It's right here, Anna. The leg twine. That's what they call it. A tight leg cross. Combine with eye contact, where you cross your legs and then twist one leg behind the other. Leg twining, baby. Okay, I, I believe you. I can't do it because my legs are too short and, I, and chunky I would never to be able twine. to do that, yeah. <laughs> oh, here's I've one got for these you. thunder thighs. Sh- shoe dangling. Sorry? <laughs> shoe? <laughs> What'd you just call me? <laughs> shoe dangling? <laughs> Especially, oh, wow. What the? <laughs> I think this it, these notes are weighted. Mom's getting a little hot and bothered PG over there. 13. You should dangle your shoe on your toe as you cross your legs. That's very sexy, apparently. Or it means your shoes don't fit. <laughs> or you've been on your feet all day and you got to take your yeah. shoes. Your Buying the wrong size of shoes is sexy, guys. 
Why are we doing this? Seems like page. I don't want this patriarchal nonsense on my show, mom. This is stupid. Okay. <laughs> oh, here's chest thumping. This is the men's <laughs> chest thumping. <laughs> what my mom does when she's angry i do it is she angry or is she flirting with you no one knows cowboy stance thumbs in your belt this is for men thumbs in your belt loops fingers pointing toward your genital (laughs) it's right here my notes it's scientific okay (laughs) you just you ask what was in my many pages of notes that's the kind of (laughs) Uh, we went off the track, uh, Anna. We had we were at a good had, ending point. You had sixty nine pages of stuff to talk about, and you decided to talk about <laughs> pointing finger guns at your balls. That is not at all the way I said it. I said it much classier uh, than that. Paraphrasing. Dancing is the last thing on my list. Okay. That you can say a lot about yourself when you dance. <laughs> like I don't know how I'm, to dance. That's I'm what gonna, I say when I dance. I'm gonna leave it. A lot of nonverbals go on during dancing. It can be very socially awkward or very sexy kind of thing. <laughs> or socially awkward. It depends awkward. on the person. Go back to her. <laughs> oh, man. How do we sum this up? I don't know. Like you said, we were at a pretty good ending point. Yeah, you talked thinking, about finger gunning balls. I think you should just go back <laughs> and cut this whole end off. Nope. No, so let's, let's, let's put a closure that you can like... Okay, skip back about 15 minutes in the episode and you'll hear our good ending place. But then we're going to end it here. Skip back 15 minutes, listen to that again and be like, oh yeah, these people know what they're talking about. And then skip back here, listen to this part, and then we'll end. Okay, how do we end? Thank you so much for listening to us talk about dumb things and smart things all at once. (laughs) Mostly dumb today. Mostly dumb. Thanks for putting up with us. (laughs) I have a cold, so Mom's I can't. Mom's using sick I'm brain just, as an excuse. I'm using that as my excuse. <laughs> but Anna retains her intelligence, so I have, just listen to all I of her have words. no excuse. <laughs> the dumb things I say are purely from my own brain. Anna Marie. It's okay. I have a smart brain, but I say dumb things a lot. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for Freudian Sips. Yes. And please join us again next time. Yes. So you can find us on so many places. The main place is FreudianSipsPod.com. That is links to everywhere else. You can follow us like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all by the name FreudianSipsPod. And please interact with us. If you're listening to this and you are a person who Twitters, then Twitter us. (laughs) If you Facebook, Facebook us. Instagram us. Do all those things. (laughs) All those verbal, (laughs) nonverbal things. If you want to get a hold of us directly outside of the Twitter, you can email us at freudiansipspod at gmail.com or there's a contact form on the site. And if you like what we're doing and you want to help us with hosting costs and buying mom cough medicine, then (laughs) (laughs) please support us on Patreon at the name Freudian Sips Pod. You can listen to us wherever you get your audio entertainment. I've really been trying to expand the reach that I've been trying to get us on a few different things. But we are on all the big ones like Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Please remember to leave us a nice rating and review wherever you can do that, wherever you're listening. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. (laughs) 